power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. It's TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast. Ooh, the man of tomorrow is here for, well, something that uh, there's times that I don't love doing it, and then there's times where I absolutely love doing it. Uh, <laughs> actually, I always love getting to do this. I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of getting paid for talking about dorky shit, and, you know, or at least... Uh, Maybe paid. I mean, that comes in a lot of different forms, right? Regardless, um, I do enjoy this, and it is Tie Fighter Renegades. Um, it's an episode where I am doing it solo. Uh, I'll tell you where I certainly, no pun intended there, there are certainly times where, uh, you know, without a doubt, I love doing it because I am joined by my man, Robin Freebeard. Uh, but he will not be on for this episode. And what we're going to get into with this episode. Uh, we are going to talk some Star Wars, Star Wars only, or at least that's the plan. And we're going to review something that I've wanted to cover for quite some time, uh, really ever since the series ended towards the end of 2021. Um, and what we're talking about is real, uh, not just a series, but a crossover event, the crossover event in comic books, that being uh, War of the Bounty Hunters. Uh, this is an event it's not the first time that Marvel's done a crossover event with their Star Wars line since they took over, uh, you know, back in, I guess, technically, I think Marvel started its run in 2014. Because if you recall, Dark Horse still wrapped up some comic book storylines that are considered canon, right? Like events with Darth Maul, or should I say Maul, you know, and, and others um, that were like unused scripts for, uh, you know, for Clone Wars. Um, but yeah, there was a, a previous one called Screaming Citadel that I really enjoyed. In fact, it's uh, kind of in my my top, if we were to call it a series, you know, even though it's a crossover event, it'd probably be in my top 10 Star Wars comics uh, in the new canon to date. Again, specifically in the new canon. If we're talking old canon, oh baby, no. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> There's almost nothing that Marvel has done uh, that, frankly, comes close to the comic books that were getting released, particularly in the 1990s by Dark Horse, um, you know, for Star Wars. I mean, when you think, you know, uh, Dark Empire, Crimson Empire, um, even the the comic book uh, adaptations of Timothy Zahn's work, uh, Tales of the Jedi, real Tales of the Jedi, you know, with Ula Keldroma, Nomi Sunrider and so on, uh, you know, Exar Kun, all that great jazz. Um I mean, nothing's ever going to touch those just on the scale that they really operated on, though, to War of the Bounty Hunters credit, it does operate on a very large scale. Um, I really did enjoy this. I mean, we're talking this comprised well over 30 comics total because it was running in and it started like the prelude comics to it started in January of 2021 and the series really didn't end until December of that same year. So it was a year long crossover event, um, it, you know, to, to varying degrees of what titles it was appearing in, but it would go into, you know, the latest volume of Darth Vader. Um, it would go into, of course, bounty hunters the you know, that comic series starting, uh, you know, Bailard Valance, which has really become a great character in my opinion, right up there, 
with a character like, say, Dr. Afra, which her series also comprised part of War of the Bounty Hunters. But great character just like Dr. Afra, where this is somebody who's never made the leap into live action or even the animated series uh, for Star Wars, or certainly not the movies. Um, but an awesome character nonetheless. And I've been enjoying the Bounty Hunters comic quite a bit because of that. I mean, the interplay, the, the comedic interplay with Dengar and even between, uh, you know, Zuckus and 4LOM, uh, like it's, it's been great. So, uh, but Bounty Hunters was a part of it. Like I said, Darth Vader was a part of it. Dr. Aphra has been a part of it, uh, you know, these comic series. The main Star Wars line, that being Star Wars Volume 2 right now, uh, has, had been a part of it. Um, and if I, well, I don't think I'm missing anything, but there is also a five issue arc of war of the bounty hunters itself that more or less recapped and comprised everything that happened, like the big events. Essentially, if you only wanted to read the five issues of war of the bounty hunters, you would have gotten the point, but you definitely would have missed out on quite a bit at the same time. You, again, you just would have gotten the point. Um, there are also, uh, I want to say there were four issues of that there were like one shots like there was the ig88 comic um there's the job of the hut comic and there's actually a bush comic which was very interesting to get that history uh so i think it's worthwhile to have read the whole thing and really to my mind if you're in you know if you're in for a pinch you're in for a pound with star wars comics meaning if you're reading dr afra there's really no reason to not read star wars volume two darth vader what is that volume three now uh, along with bounty hunters, you know, like you might as well read everything because again, all of this is really interconnected. Even in 2022, we have the crossover event of Crimson Rain, which, you know, really, uh, well spawned out of the events that happened in war of the bounty hunters. So I definitely recommend, even if you're new to star Wars comics, at least get caught up with war of the bounty hunters. Um, and I think it's worthwhile for a lot of reasons. First off, I'll just open up with this saying, again, I loved it. Like, I really, really liked this entire, uh, I'll call it series, again, even though it's comprised of multiple comic book series themselves. Um, I, I, just a phenomenal series. And not only is it, was it phenomenal, but it actually has kept me excited um, about Star Wars when some other content uh, felt very lackluster. Right now, I mean, I liked Book of Boba Fett overall, but it's something that had to be taken in overall. Um, Obi-Wan, well, we've talked about that recently, <laughs> but but when when there are things that, and even some of the novels, which I will be doing solo episodes reviewing those as well, um, even some of the novels haven't been the most exciting thing, though Shadow of the Sith, I'm definitely excited to read that and I will be doing a review here um, on, you know, on TIE Fighter Renegades, but I really liked this series specifically, but again, like I said, it's really something that's been tiding me over with Star Wars, where, like, okay, the best shit is happening in the comic books, and it really is good shit. Like, in War of the Bounty Hunters, again, the overall, so to give you a, a perspective on what this is, or, you know, kind of a recap of what it's all about, um, this is Disney's, essentially their version of uh, Shadows of the Empire, what I mean by that, Shadows of the Empire, of course, was a multimedia event that happened in the 90s. It's one of my favorite novels, one of my favorite comic books, because, again, it, it crossed over a lot of different media venue or media types, right? Even to the point that they had a soundtrack CD. It was insane. Um, 
in a good way. It was insane. I've talked about it many, many, many times. It's really some of the best stuff that's ever happened in Star Wars. Uh, so this is kind of Disney's version of the the now canon version of what happens between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And it follows somewhat of a similar, I guess, abstract narrative to what Shadows of the Empire did, meaning, I mean, hell, you even have Black Sun in this, meaning you have um, a lot of different interested parties trying to get Han Solo's body frozen in carbonite away from Boba Fett. And that's that's the whole storyline, essentially, of War of the Bounty Hunters. It's that. It's also about the rise of Crimson Dawn. So, spoiler alerts here, folks. But, I mean, if you've caught anything Star Wars, you've probably heard about it lately. Um, but the character of Kira, from, you know, who's a main character uh, in with the Game of Thrones Lady Planner, in the Solo A Star Wars Story movie, um, she makes a return. And I dare say it's a triumphant return. It's a great return. It really, really works. It was awesome to have a character um, with that kind of cachet uh, really being a foil to not just the Rebellion, you know, not just to, to, to Princess Leia, but also to Darth Vader himself, uh, among other Star Wars heavyweights. And... Before I, I comment on that, again, this is going to get into why this is actually really good. Um, before I get into that, I want to kind of keep recapping. Uh, so Boba Fett does effectively lose uh, Han Solo frozen in carbonite. And there ends up being like an auction that Crimson Dawn holds for varying parties like Job of the Hutt um, and other and like the Black Sun, you know, and other syndicates uh, who can bid on, you know, getting their hands on him. Uh, and eventually, even the Empire, of course, that being Darth Vader, gets involved and wants, you know, the body of Han Solo or wants, you know, Han Solo and Carbonite, um, which is interesting because, I mean, in kind, I guess it's a little weird because Vader is the one who agreed to let Boba Fett have Han Solo. So why suddenly, you know, kind of renege on that in a way? I, I find that to be a little odd. Of course, you find out the reason that Vader does want the, you know, uh, Han Solo and Carbonite comes down to that he wants to lure Luke. You know, he wants to lure Luke Skywalker. And you get some great Luke Skywalker action in this. Um, you get some very vulnerable moments from Luke Skywalker within it where he's realizing, holy shit, I am just not ready, you know, to take on Darth Vader. Um, and he's still dealing with the revelations of Vader being his father. There's some great inner monologue within, uh, or inner dialogue, I guess I should say. Um, it's not exactly clear if, like, Luke is also hearing it, but certainly you're getting the red bubbles, which means it's Vader thinking or talking. And, you know, he's explaining, Vader's explaining what he wants and all this, and, and it really works well. Um, so, but that, but that's your recap. Now, it ends off, again, spoiler alert, <laughs> And not, not that this is a surprise to anybody. Really, there's no spoiler to be had. Why? Because you this is between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and you know what's going to happen in Return of the Jedi. And what happens in Return of the Jedi is Boba Fett does bring Han Solo and Carbonite to Jabba the Hutt. And so all of these machinations, you know, it's kind of like watching the movie Titanic, where it's like, okay, well, good story, but we know how it's going to end, right? And that's very a very similar situation here. But that's not really what made this great. There's great moments in this, and I'll describe some of them. 
But there's something very particular that made War of the Bounty Hunters a great series overall. Um, what made it a great series overall, before I get into the particular moments, because, again, if it weren't for the moments, I don't think it, it would have necessarily worked. What made it a great series overall is it ties together, in fact, maybe better than anything else I can think of, it ties together every era, every part of Star Wars, every saga, every trilogy, every, like, every series even, every little, you know, a Star Wars story movie, it brings them all together, it coalesces them, and actually makes them all relevant to each other. Like, one of the things that I walked away from after reading this, like, I can't believe how much I actually appreciate everything that was brought in from Solo, A Star Wars Story. You know, again, I never thought it was like a bad movie. I just didn't think it mattered. And it was just kind of like, yeah, okay, it exists, but who gives a shit? Now I kind of give a shit. In fact, it almost makes me want to go back and watch it again, which I didn't think anything could make me want to do that. Um, but it really makes me want to go back and watch it again and appreciate more of what's get putting down, um, you know, in that movie overall. But having Kira there, having Lando in the comic book, uh, and him, you know, knowing the history with Kira, uh, we even get, well, all right, like I said, I'll save the moments. Um, but yeah, the, in, in fact, not only that, at the end of the series, when Crimson Dawn, uh, in fact, it, it's great. There's like this phrase that Crimson Dawn agents all know. It's kind of like Freemasonry that where it's, uh, await the dawn is, is the phrase. I mean, Crimson Dawn, of course, comes out of Solo Star Wars Story as well, which is the organization started by Darth Maul. Of course, we know at this point in the Star Wars timeline, Darth or Maul is now dead, right? Obi-Wan has killed him. Uh, so Kira's really calling the shots here. Uh, I'd love to get that backstory. But amazingly, I really would. You know, I can say this now after reading War of the Bounty Hunters. I really would love to get that backstory of, you know, kind of the rise of Kira. Um, but, you know, regardless... At the very end of this whole series, um, they change the like the their 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 you know their their phrase that they say to each other, right? Their secret their secret password. They change it instead of "Await the dawn," uh, they change it to "Await the rain," you know, and it's R E I G N, which you know makes sense with the sun symbolism and everything. Um, but what's really cool is at the end, you see where after all of these events in War of the Bounty Hunters, like Crimson Dawn brings in a lot of these different characters from throughout the Star Wars, you know, throughout the galaxy. And now this kind of comes out of nowhere, but I thought that it was really cool. And I don't want to give away because Crimson Rain is still the, the Crimson, Crimson Rain series is still happening right now. So I don't want to give away anything on that just yet. But at the end of it, you see the Knights of Ren as a part of Crimson Dawn at, at, at the very end of War of the Bounty Hunters. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, that, that's interesting. Um, I mean, they even bring in Canto Bite in, in, the, in, this, in this series. Uh, and, you know, again, it clicks and it all kind of makes sense. And that's what I'm saying is, so, is one of the things that really blew my mind with this comic series is how even parts of Star Wars that you may think suck, and I might agree with you, uh, or at least are lackluster. Uh, it gives a lot of them meaning. I, I'm absolutely, I mean, and granted, you had a lot of time. You had, again, you had, depending upon how you look at it, a year's worth of comic books, okay? But, but you had so much time to develop 
and work with and bring all of these elements in, um, you know, from, again, the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, the sequel trilogy, and even, uh, dare I say, there's even elements of Rogue One in it, you know, certainly with like with Death Troopers and some others. Um, but and but you really get to like solo a Star Wars story suddenly has a fucking point. Now, it's important for me to bring up, if you recall, there were rumors and I think they're actually more than rumors that Solo a Star Wars story was supposed to be like a launch pad for a series of films that would be like the Star Wars underworld, right? Like there was going to be a Boba Fett movie. There was going to be a Jabba the Hutt movie. I'm not kidding. There's going to be, you know, all these other things. After reading War of the Bounty Hunters, I wonder if they just took those scripts and kind of made it into this, you know, crossover comic book event. Um, and again, the story is so good. It's a shame that we're never going to, we're probably never going to get those movies. What a pity, because this is a damned good story. Uh, granted, this might actually be the better way to have gone anyway. Reason I say that is you're getting, um, you know, Leia, Lando, Luke, you know, you're, you're Chewie, you're getting all of the big characters. And it probably would have been at the very least controversial, if not impossible to, you know, really bring all of those characters back in a way that certainly was, you know, acceptable to a degree of fans, um, you know, and, and, and make it work because you, you would have had to have effectively recasted Leia, right? Um, I don't know if you would have been able to get the gal, you know, from Game of Thrones to come in and play, um, you know, and play Kira again, even though that would have been awesome. Uh, I don't know if you would have been able to, I mean, yeah, you know, Donald, is it Donald Wright, Donald Glover? Um, he, you know, he did a great Lando and you could have brought him back in. I think that would have worked, but it would have been a challenge to get this incredible cast of characters. And that's really what made this whole thing work, you know, and who are you going to get to, you know, recast as Luke, you know, and I don't think, I don't know if the, um, you know, the, the, the deep fake, uh, tech would have fully delivered on the amount of action happening in this series. If it were originally a series of films, but I'm guessing they brought in elements of that, even though I think that that underworld series of films was probably going to take place before, um, a new hope, you know, before episode four. So now they just kind of transposed it to put it between five and six. Again, Disney has turned it into their own shadows of the empire. Uh, and ultimately I think it ended up working out really, really well. Um, so again, it does it. The best thing it does is it brings in all the disparate elements and all the different content of star Wars. And again, coalesces it in one, uh, well, to use a DC term, right? One shatter point, <laughs> you know, where, where everything just, just, it's a nexus where everything just kind of comes together right there. Uh, and it, it, again, it really works. So the part of the reason it really works though, is that it does have great moments in it. And let's talk about some of those great moments. Um, Boba Fett lighting Chewbacca on fire to win the fight. Fucking great. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you're a fan of Boba Fett, like you're in for a real treat with this one because Boba Fett is badass right from the prologue, you know, or from the prelude to War of the Bounty Hunters, where he's effectively a gladiator and he paints his, uh, his Mandalorian armor in like all black. Um, and he's in an intergalactic form of UFC kicking the shit out of everybody. I mean, it, you know, great stuff. Um, great interaction with a lot of the other bounty hunters you really get, which is something that Disney's had a challenge with since 2013. You really get that sense 
that Boba Fett is, you know, the baddest man in the galaxy, right? Uh, you get that feel in this. You certainly didn't get it in Book of Boba Fett, but you get it here. Um, speaking of Book of Boba Fett, something else that's really cool. There is a moment, and, and it's, it's akin to Rogue One. It's part of that poetry, part of that rhyming, where, and not only of, of Rogue One, but also of um, Episode 3, you know, uh, of Revenge of the Sith, where Vader is ordered by the Emperor to kill um, the entire Hut Council, except for Jabba, who, who, you know, had already gone back off to, to Tatooine after saying, okay, no, the Empire, the Empire can have Han Solo's body or whatever. Of course, it doesn't work out that way, but, you know, he digresses and moves on. But the rest of the Hut Council stays, and it ends up in a big battle. It's, it's pretty impressive stuff and interesting machinations that I won't cover. But um, the, the slaughter of the entire Hut Council explains why Jabba is, I mean, he was in charge anyway, but why Jabba is solely in charge and ultimately why by the time of Book of Boba Fett, why can Boba Fett just sit, you know, on the throne and he's in charge of the entire, like, you know, Hut Syndicate or whatever. Uh, that's because the Hut Council was slaughtered by Darth Vader. And so now that, like, again, this explains, that's what I'm saying. Everything, like, there's so many things that happen in this comic series that suddenly events that have happened in other series, movies, etc., make a ton of sense. Um, not that I had a question about that really earlier, but now it, it like it's cool to know, aha, so that's why the throne is so lonely, you know, for uh, uh, that, you know, that Boba Fett would eventually take. Um, so, uh, oh boy, that... <laughs> Even that, like what ends up, how Vader gets ordered to go and slaughter the Hut Council uh, is, is fantastic. And it, it's where they bring in the Emperor on this whole thing. Um, and oh, that's something, there's so much to talk about because there's great lines in this as well. Like, like there's, and it's, it's been for me, it's been a long time since there were quotes from Star Wars, like new Star Wars, that I wanted to take away and be like, okay, yeah, I can use this in life, you know? And like, uh, like there's a point where the emperor says, it's like now people learn the lesson that, you know, the, or the mistake thinking that the millions are greater than the one. Uh, and I love that, you know, from an individualistic, you know, kind of egoist standpoint, it's, it's really brilliant. Um, but anyway, you get more of Admiral Piet, right? Cause he gets promoted and empire strikes back. And then of course we see his ultimate fate in return of the Jedi. But we get more of Admiral Piet aboard the, uh, you know, executor or executor. You know, I don't know. I've ever heard anybody say that out loud. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, maybe the executor, maybe that the executor fits too, right? Because it's Vader's superstar destroyer. But anyway, um, you get more of Admiral Piet on there. And there's a point where Vader is going after Luke in his TIE fighter. And Luke is in, of course, his X-Wing. And, you know, like Vader gives... You know, Piet is trying to, you know, coordinate with Vader saying, hey, the Huts are doing this. What do you want me to do? Blah, blah, blah. And then Vader gives him shit and says, you know, don't contact me again uh, unless it's the Emperor himself that has a message for me. You know, being a dick to Piet, who's a smart guy doing his job. I mean, even when, you know, the original trilogy was the only thing we had out there, uh, when you were a fan of the Imperials like I was um, and am, then you know, Piet was one of your top guys and you kind of like watched everything he did. <laughs> so it was really awesome for him to effectively outsmart Vader in this because what happens is like the Huts start attacking the Superstar Destroyer and 
he tells a lieutenant, you know, Piet tells the lieutenant, hey, you know, go tell, you get in touch with Lord Vader, tell him what's going on. Like, I, I want orders on this. And the lieutenant says, oh, well, but, you know, Vader said that don't interrupt him unless uh, the emperor is there. And Piet's like, you know what? You're right. Get me the emperor. <laughs> it was such, it's such a great moment, you know, where Piet is just directly contacting um, uh, Emperor Palpatine. And then... You know, it, it, of course, it cuts to where Piet is contacting Vader and Vader's like, I told you don't interrupt me unless it's a message from the Emperor. And he says, of course, it is a message from the Emperor. Stop going after Luke Skywalker. Get your ass back here and take care of the huts. And that's, of course, why, you know, Vader ends up slaughtering the huts um, or the hut council. And it, it's just you got to read it to get it. But it's it, for me, it was such a cool moment. Um, and it was such a great way, you know, I've, I've always said this, that when you bring in Palpatine, everything just goes up to 13. And this was a moment where everything went up to 13 and the payoff even was great for bringing in Palpatine. Uh, you get great quotes from Palpatine. And of course you get another great moment of Vader, you know, being the, uh, the enforcer and just slaughtering, you know, a bunch of slugs. It's <laughs> no offense, Huts. Um, it, it, it's, it's a really cool moment. And it's a moment, here, here's the beauty of it. They don't even show you like, well, there's a side comic where they kind of show you it happening, but they don't even really show show it happening. You know, Vader slaughtering them. You see the aftermath. The amazing thing is because of, you know, Revenge of the Sith, what happens with the Nemoidians and whoever, you know, on, on Mustafar. And with, of course, what happens in Rogue One aboard, uh, well, as they're going on to the Tan uh, V4. Your, your mind already fills in the blanks of what happens and you just know it's awesome. And you even like hear the music from Rogue One, which I thought Michael Giacchino would just was above and beyond on that, you know, with the whole operatic, you know, the, right. Now I'm not going to sing it, but that, that whole business, uh, you know, Frankenstein's monster, you just got it. And, and, and oh, did it work? Um, so that was a great moment. Another great moment with Darth Vader. Uh, I got to tell you, some of the like fight sequences with Vader have been some of the best Star Wars content, whether it's comics, novels, uh, not really novels, but either comics or TV shows or whatever, uh, has been some of the best Star Wars. And this is, with War of the Bounty Hunters, it's no different. There is an amazing fight between uh, Kira and Darth Vader. And oh yeah, she steps up and gets right in his face and uses, of course, what we know from Solo Star Wars story, she uses uh, Terrace Cassie, as she calls it in that, you know, that ancient technique. And it's so cool to have Vader, like, complimenting her while they're fighting. And he's like, it's a shame I'm going to have to kill you. Such incredible skill could be used for whatever. Uh, dynamite. I mean, just an awesome battle. And they keep talking about it in the aftermath, you know, uh, of the, you know, the, the auction for, for Solo and Carbonite. Uh, like Lando's like, hey, you, did you see her last two minutes with Vader? And everybody's just kind of in awe of that fact. And rightfully so. Uh, and it just, it works. It instantly sells the character. You get it. Um, and again, fortunately, you have Solo a Star Wars story to give her that pedigree uh, to where it does work as compared to, you know, you bring in a character like Reva and Obi-Wan Kenobi and you don't believe it that Reva can kick Vader's ass as to where, you know, with Kira, it's like, oh, yeah, we've seen her, you know, kick some ass. We've seen her survive from the streets and she's in charge of an organization that was created by Vader's predecessor, that being Darth Maul. So, again, the pedigree, the history, it's there. And so you buy it and it works. It's awesome. One of the best moments uh, really in Star Wars comics history, in my opinion, uh, one of the best fights with Vader that I've seen. Um, I, I, I loved it. That, that was that was a really, really cool moment. Um, 
there there are there's a i mean there's just there's a boatload of really really cool moments in this you get some great moments with uh, with bail art valence um get some awesome boba fett moments and you know he really gets to be the badass in this uh which is which is nice um dr afra always an interesting character always enjoy having her around um she brings in this new cult not that she's a part of it but she brings in this new cult that just kind of briefly gets mentioned and you get some more mentions of it in in more recent comic books as well um called the uh the ascendant and they are like apparently they were so so bad so evil that and they use like this you know like really powerful technology um like to control thoughts and do these other things but their technology was like so uh, uh, potentially disastrous that even the Sith wouldn't mess with it. And I love this idea of creating a cult slash faction, and even though it's an ancient one, that you know even the Sith didn't want to deal with, right? And you get some of this like in the High Republic uh, uh, novels and comics as well. But you know, or similar things like like the Drengir are something that are kind of like supra Sith in a way. Um, but I, I love that. I love it when Star Wars lays out, oh yeah, well, there was this at this time and you get to see you know a little bit of it. I'm sure we're going to see more of that. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow that becomes a part of the Star Wars Acolyte TV show uh, that we know is, is coming up. Um, so, you know, everybody really uh, also, I mean, as far as like the artistry goes, I have no complaints about the artistry and all of this. Uh, the writing is top notch. You can hear the characters' voices for the characters who you know the voices for. You can hear it in the words that they're saying. Um, Marvel has not always been good about that since Disney's tenure of Star Wars. Um, but it was working here. Everybody was firing on all cylinders. Character, stories, art, everything was just, I mean, was, in my opinion, perfect. Uh, I've heard some people say they, they weren't so much into it or they didn't excite them as much. But I don't know. I dug it. And, and I think you're even if you've never read it, you're in a better position because you get to read it all kind of at once. One of the problems that I admit with even Star Wars comic books, but frankly, this is true for comic books in general right now, is you have these year long stories that happen. But you usually only get one, maybe two comics a month featuring the character engaging in the year long story. And it's just it's too far spread out. And there's not enough happening in each comic as to where if you read, like, say, the entire graphic novel, right, a, you know, a compilation of these things, if you read the entire thing all in one shot, it's a tremendous story. And so if you haven't read these yet, like, you're in a better position to read them because you get to consume it at your pace. If you want more, you can get more. Uh, and, and I really think War of the Bounty Hunters, it's actually better read that way. Again, I think this is true for all comic books. But this is one where, now, I mean, to be fair, like, I like the way they set this up because some of the events got recapped in the War of the Bounty Hunters series uh, proper, meaning the five-issue miniseries for that, uh, you know, you kind of got continually reminded of things that happened because, again, this all this shit happened over months and months and months and months and months of releases of comic books. Uh, they did a great job with that. Um, so I want to applaud them there that they certainly did their level best to resolve the issue that I just described about, like, not being able to, you know, get the entire story in one shot. Um, I don't know when we're ever going to fix that with comic books. Probably never. But 
regardless, you know, you're in a good position, like I said, if you haven't read this before. Um, if you only started off with War of the Bounty Hunters, you know, and you got maybe like halfway through the series and you finally said, oh, fuck it, that's enough. Um, I, I, I implore you to go back to it because I really think it's a treat. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, again, one of the best, uh, uh, you know, coalescing of everything that exists for Star Wars as far as what's canon and brings it all together, gives it all some meaning and importance. Um, it, it might even be the best that I can think of right now. Um, I'm really enjoying, so the sequel kind of crossover event, Crimson Rain, I am enjoying the fuck out of that as well. Uh, but War of the Bounty Hunters really kicked it off. The ending gives you total, total payoff with, you know, by the end of it. You, I mean, it, it's worth the slog. If you feel like it's a slog going through that many comic books, believe me, it's worth it. Um, and don't, please, don't just read the five. I mean, you can, but don't just read the five issues. This is something where you want to get all that story. You want to get every little bit that the characters bring up um, because there's a lot there. Even the conversation between Kira and Leia, I think, is fantastic. Uh, there's just, there's so much to take in. It's, it's really, uh, or, I mean, the conversations between Leia and Lando, how Leia effectively sells the idea of the rebellion to Lando. It's awesome. I mean, it, it, it really works. Lando talking to L3 while he's repairing the Falcon um, is, is amazingly, it's a great moment. It's, it's another one of the great moments in this series. So there's a lot to take in. That's why I say take it all in, okay? Anyway, um, that's it. That's our review of War of the Bounty Hunters. Again, you got it over 30 comics to, to get into with this baby if you want to read the entire thing. But I assure you, it is really, really worth it. I loved it. And then you get to go right into Crimson Rain, which is running throughout 2022. I don't even know how long. I think it's supposed to wrap up in August. And then we're going to get Hidden Empire, which I'm intrigued to see what that's all about. Uh, of course, where are we going to talk about all this stuff? Right here, baby, in the Sovereign Tech feed on TIE Fighter Renegades. So I'll wrap this here and I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Yeah!